The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like feelings, lies, and scarcity. <laughs> wow. Making it easy. Yeah. 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 Those three things. Wham, Pam. Um, Thank you, man. I know. Right? Who needs poetry when you can just get to the brass tacks? That's what I say. <laughs> that is poetry. Like, you're talking about <laughs> who needs, like, novels. <laughs> uh, which is why we want to give you our surgeon's general warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health practitioners. Um, we don't really know what we're talking about. I don't even know what poetry is. I'm just making all of this up as I go along, as yeah. is Sierra. Yep. We are not professionals, so please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings so hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, Sam, before we get into this week's check-in topic, I want to tell everybody that our third interview in our brand new interview series, Head and Her Work Conversations, is coming out this Thursday. That's going to be Thursday, December 2nd. And it is featuring the poet and author, Melissa Lozada Oliva. Uh, Melissa Lozada Oliva is a Guatemalan, Colombian, American poet, screenwriter, podcaster. She's a friend of mine. She's a fantastic artist. And she just came out with this amazing novel in verse in October called Dreaming of You, which is basically like this surreal 
exploration into bringing Selena back to life through a seance and the dangerous consequences that come from that. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. Uh, and it's like a poetry and verse novel. It's, it's so cool. I'm so excited for her. Um, but so in this conversation, we talked about dating. You know, Melissa is newly single and specifically online dating in this world of like hyper connectivity of um, dating apps and social media, but mm. that actually present like a false connection, you know? Um, and mm. we also talked about uh, interracial dating, something that a lot of you letter writers have asked us to comment upon. Um, and I loved getting Melissa's perspective as a non-white person who predominantly that dates white men um, about how she set up those her personal experiences and how she set up her boundaries and her needs. Um, you can catch that episode on our primary feed, uh, wherever you get your podcasts on this Thursday, November 2nd, featuring Melissa Lozada Oliva. Also, Melissa is like one of the funniest fucking social media people I've ever met. <laughs> so before you listen to the episode, make sure to follow her on Instagram and Twitter under Elo Melissa, E L L O. Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A. Great. Okay, so Sam, check-in topic for this week. It's actually, to me, tied to one of the letters that we're answering this week, the first letter, um, but it kind of like came up in my life organically prior to this episode. And it is the idea of like our ingrained human des uh, urge to be defensive, like it's not even, mm. I don't even mean like toxic defensive defensiveness or like immature defensiveness. I just mean like the human, I don't know, urge to, to, to protect yourself and be like, ah, no, it's not me. Or to take things really personally. For example, like when um, I'm driving and my wife says, oh, watch out for that car. And in my mind, I think, I, of course I saw that car what do you think I'm a bad driver, you know? Mm, uh -huh. And to be clear, it's actually me, the one that says, watch out for the car and Willow is defensive of it, but I'm trying to protect her identity <laughs> here. So, <laughs> but it's also like, you know, I get, I get, it's, I don't even know if the world is, word is defensiveness, but it's like that human instincts to take things as a narrative about ourselves, as a critique mm. about ourselves, instead of like an observation or instead of like someone else just experiencing us, instead of creating a narrative about us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you relate to it? I definitely relate to it. And I think a lot of folks probably do. Um, and I think it's because we're so ingrained in thinking that like the things that we do somehow like make us good or bad people that it like becomes a shortcut in our brain that if like somebody is like, yeah. Oh, watch out for that, that car over there. Like as a point of concern, what we hear is like, Oh, you're a good or bad person because of this comment that I'm yes. giving to you. And like that absolutely happens in that as well. And it happens in times when we have absolutely done something wrong. Right. <laughs> and, right. Like, but they feel suddenly, the same. <laughs> yeah, no. And suddenly it's like, Somebody's like, you did this thing. And it immediately is like, well, I didn't do that thing. And here's all the 18 reasons because it's like, there's something in our brains that is hardwired to think like, I'm either a good or bad person. And so I have to prove that I'm a good person or I'm a good driver or whatever it is. Um, separating ourselves from the idea of like good and bad is like part of yeah. it, I think, of like that idea of just like, 
no, you can be a really good driver and also miss a car that's happening, yeah. like that is coming at you, right? Or like you can have done something wrong and still be a good person, right? Like, yeah, sort of distilling that down into this idea of, or you can also be, yeah, like you can be a good person and and harm people, yeah. Um, like so much of it is tied up, I think, in like us trying to prove ourselves all the time to everyone else and be like, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, and it's like, no, you are yeah. good, always. Yeah. And you also make mistakes. You don't see cars or you hurt people or like. I totally relate to that, to that anxious need or that or that like yeah. that constant work of having to prove your goodness or like prove your intentions. I think another thing that's wrapped up in this for me, like when I get defensive is when I'm assuming I, I just like assume mm-hmm. that their comment means more than it does. I assume that it it is about a bigger narrative about me and not just one question, observation, comment, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or one ask or critique, you know, that somebody can tell me to like do the dishes or like to ask with, ask to do the dishes more. And that doesn't mean that the bigger narrative means I'm like a slob who doesn't help. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, And I honestly, I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because it's, I see it everywhere. I see it in everyone. I see it in my spouse. I see it in me every day, you know, and, but at the same time, it feels so human and understandable that we are like, we're just these little children who, who are anxious about ourselves and what other people think about us. And, and we, we go to the defensive defensive. Isn't quite the right word, but you know, like, I, I can't think of, I think I can't think of another applicable word, you know? Yeah. No, I think it I think it is defensive because I think one of the motivators, at least for me in that is like, you know, I'm walking through the world assuming that if people see the truth about me, they'll know that I'm a fuck up or they'll know Mm. that I'm somehow a terrible person or like they'll know that like this like illusion that I have or this narrative that I have that if people know the true me, they'll see me for the flawed person I am and will stop loving me because of that. So I think I, you know, when I'm defensive, I'm immediately jumping to like, oop, I got to put that, I got to put the defenses up so that right. people don't see the, the, the broken person that's inside and stop loving me. Right. Um, and that's, that's, I mean, I think that's as small as like when you're driving on the street and somebody criticizes you to like big things as well. Um, and so I do think it comes from like a, a wounded place. Like, I don't think that yeah. defensiveness is like bad necessarily. No, I think it's it, like, a, it it's, isn't. it's literally a defense mechanism, right? right. Like for and some sort you know, of, some sort of hurt we're holding. Yeah. You know where it becomes harder to deal with or like where it becomes something that you have to actually like outgrow, you know, is when, and we're going to talk about this in the very first letter is like when our defense mechanisms require retaliation Oh, mm. I'm not the bad driver. You're the one that's texting all the time when you're driving. You know, right. I, oh, well, you want me to do the dishes? Well, you never fold the laundry. I hate how you, fold, you know, like it's, and we, I think mm. we do that as self-preservation because it feels terrifying and so vulnerable, like literally like the softest parts of ourselves is to say, oh, okay. You know, to like, to be so secure <laughs> in that yeah. moment and not feel the need to like, it's not even like dragging someone else down, but it's it's sitting in the discomfort of allow or or trusting. It's not even discomfort. Sitting trusting 
the moment that it is just a moment and not a bigger narrative about yourself, which is Mm -hmm. so fucking hard. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And recognizing again that like you can, you can fuck up and still be a good person or like you can not be doing the dishes enough and still not be a slob, right? Like disrupting that, that bias that like, like, Maybe that's what I want to get. Maybe I'm like stumbling so much in this check-in topic because this is truly a topic that like I want to explore that like I don't have the words for yet, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's by examining the stories that you're telling yourself that you're responding to, right? Pausing and and saying like, what were the literal words that came out of that person's mouth, Mm -hmm. which was watch out for that car. Yeah. And then what yeah. and then what did I hear? You're I a heard bad driver. You're right? a bad driver. You're not gonna see that mm-hmm. car and you're endangering us all, you know? Yeah. Or um you really hurt my feelings, right? What I'm hearing is not like, oh, you really hurt your feelings. I really hurt your feelings. Like, how can I help? Like I'm I'm so sorry that I did that. Instead, I'm hearing you're a horrible person. And so now yeah. I gotta get defensive and say, like, I'm not a horrible person. Why would you say that? Right. Yes. It's the same thing with like white folks and being called a racist friends. Right. Like it's, it's an immediate response of saying like, you're calling me a bad person when it's like, no, what I'm saying is that the thing that you just said is racist or the right. thing that you're doing is racist. Right. Right. And it's, and so I think it is about literally listening to what the other person is saying and being like, what are the words? What are the actual words coming out of their mouth? Yeah. Right. Which isn't to say like, I'm not trying to deny your intuition or like, you know, it's because some folks will say things and mean different things, right? So like that is also a truth that can happen. But literally like, what is that person saying? And what am I telling myself that they're saying? Yeah. And then sort of respond from the the thing that they're saying and not the thing that you're hearing. And that's hard. I mean, like I, I think that is lifelong work where you, you know, half of the time you're going to say the defensive thing and then you're going to stop and say, no, I'm sorry, I was responding out of fear or I was responding defensively or I was responding, I was trying to protect myself. I'm sorry. What I meant to say was, of course, I'll help you with the dishes. I'm happy to do that. You know, like, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of this process is not very glamorous or or smooth, (laughs) you know, it's it's clunky and it's it's forever. You know, I'm not I'm always if my spouse brings something to me in which I am not if I could do better or I could do differently, I will always hear you're not enough. You know, I will, I will always hear that first. It's about hearing that and then telling myself, I know this story isn't true. The story that I'm telling myself that I grew up thinking about myself was a lie, you know? So. Yeah. And I, I think it's also like building up your self love practice enough yeah. to say, if I fuck up, it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It just means that I fucked up, right? Like if I fuck up, it's, I'm still lovable. If I fuck up, I'm not going to drive people away from me. Um, And recognizing like doing both of those things at the same time and recognizing like we're all humans who are going to make mistakes, who are not going to see that car or are going to sort of get a little slack on our dishwashing or we're going to hurt somebody really, really badly. Yeah. Yeah. or smally too, right? Like smally. not, yeah, smally. I don't think that's a word. Um, but like recognizing that like we, we are still lovable humans. And even when we, even when we make mistakes. Yeah. And a whole other side of this is maybe learning about these triggers of our partners or mm-hmm. our intimate friends or whatever. And 
maybe navigating them with care and knowing when to ask for more and knowing when, you know, what comes to mind is like, I, I know, I know you and my wife are sensitive to driving comments, right? Is that true? Yes. No, I know you are. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I couldn't remember. (laughs) Make sure I remember that correctly. And so like, I try to not make those comments. You know what I mean? (laughs) But sometimes they come out when you're like, oh, look out for that car that I would not have seen or whatever. Anyway, this is all a segue into our first letter, I think. Oh, perfect. (laughs) Do you like that? Do you like how I did that really clunkly? All right, y'all. Yeah, and also to be clear, like, I don't like it when people comment on my driving, but there have been times when people's comments on my driving have prevented an accident. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a negotiation there of, like, you know, you also have to, you have to do the work of saying this is not a narrative about me. And then I can Mm -hmm. do some caretaking and some choice making about what comments I do and do not make in the car with you and my wife. (laughs) 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 Love you, Willow. You don't listen to the show. (laughs) All right. Does she even know what a podcast is? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here we go. Here's the first letter is coming to us from confused being whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from the void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. I am a longtime listener, first time submitting. I've been fortunate to be in a pretty great relationship, but there's one issue that my partner and I just can't seem to get on the same page about. My partner, she, her, and I, she, her, have been together for three years and recently got engaged. We've known each other for a very long time and we're friends first, and our relationship was built on so much love and respect. However... When I tell my partner that I am upset about something, she frequently responds with how what I shared with her made her feel. She will apologize and validate my feelings, but then tell me that I've hurt her feelings. For example, I recently said that when I make a comment about something like where something might be, a plan that we made or a fact about someone else, she will often respond in a way that comes across like I'm just flat out wrong. I ask for her to ask more questions instead of responding definitively. I said the response made me feel like she didn't trust my memory or judgment. She apologized and then said, it feels like I don't like a part of her personality because she is assertive and decisive. I said that wasn't what I meant and that I was sorry and that it hurt that she would think that I didn't like a part of her personality, which then turned into an argument about how we, quote, can't ever talk about her feelings and they don't matter. I realize that there are things I don't do perfectly and can improve, but that last comment is one that we have had many arguments around. If I say something has upset me, she will apologize and then tell me how it made her feel. I feel like that invalidates my feelings and shifts the conversation to me now having to comfort her feelings about me sharing my feelings about something she did. She says her feelings are valid and she has the right to express them too. I feel like her feelings are for her to process, not with me. There are, of course, many layers to this question, and overall, and overall, our relationship is a really good and strong one. We have both been through some very traumatic and difficult things as a couple and individually that we have been a major support for each other through, both as friends and since we started dating. We have both been in individual therapy and are currently searching for a couple's therapist. So I just would love to hear your take on the question of TLDR. If I tell my partner about something they did that was hurtful or upsetting to me, is it appropriate for them to then tell me their feelings about what I shared? All right, confused being. Let me tell you how much I love this question. Hmm. Um, 
I think I love it because I have similar, I have a similar dynamic in my life or I have in the past where I feel like um, that human urge of defensiveness comes up either from my partner or from me when the other person brings something to them. It's sort of like a, we're quick to apologize. We're quick to like take on um, accountability for whatever happened to be open to the other person. But there's that human instinct to be like, I can't believe you think this about me Mm. or well, you do this, you know, and um, how it's come up for me in my life where like I relate to the letter writer is that it feels like I can't sometimes I, in the past, I have felt like I can't just come to you with a complaint and get an apology. <laughs> like it mm. has to be this weird negotiation thing. And I'm not talking about my current relationship or anything specific. I just, I relate to this dynamic because I, I just see the humanness in it reflected in my own life in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it, um, this type of behavior, which I also recognize makes it really hard to be upset <laughs> because yeah. it's like, Oh, I know that if I'm upset and I share it with you, then you're going to feel really bad um, and like make me feel bad about making you feel bad, which is like, um, you know, I think that there's like there's a space, I think, for people to say like to be really honest and have some like some openness about like. Oh, I I did this thing and I I know that I hurt you and I I just feel bad that I hurt you and um or whatever it is, right? Um but I do think that there is like a line of defensiveness that comes up in folks where it's like you did something that hurt my feelings and then we're like, "Oh, I feel so bad that you feel bad. Like, uh, oh, the fact that you're bringing this to me makes me feel so awful. Like, why are you yeah. doing this?" Like, um And it can be really hard then to like air our grievances or to like address something that is actually upsetting us. So I appreciate that it is a a challenging position to be in. Um, And at the same time, I do want to create space for the idea of like, especially in this instance that you gave us of, of her also sharing with you that like, oh, the fact that you don't like this makes you think that you don't like this part of my personality. And like, is that true? Like what, like I'm also kind of, I'm in a, in my own thing about this, right? Like I think it's an, a legitimate conversation to have. Like it, it absolutely can be like, well, what I'm hearing when you're saying that you don't like me being decisive is that you don't like this aspect of my personality rather than what you might be saying, which is that you don't like it when I say these things in this way, like, which is it? Cause if it's my personality that I, I'm hurt by that, right? Like mm-hmm. there is space for us to be able to both simultaneously work through the emotional response that we're having to a situation. Like that is something that can happen. So I also don't want you to say like, you should never have an emotional response when somebody's upset with you, I know, right? Yes. Or you should never be able to respond with a like, wait a minute, what I'm hearing is this. And like, I don't like this. Right. Cause like, you know, your idea of like her feelings are not for her to process with you it makes everything really one-sided. <laughs> yes. It means that you're allowed to process your feelings with her, but she's not allowed to do the same thing back to you. So like, this is one instance where it's like, well, I could see how she could, this could be really defensive and not helpful. I could also see that this is a person who's like trying to engage with you about this, like this hiccup in your relationship and trying to approach it in a together way of saying, we're both having emotional responses to this. How can we be good with each other? 
And you might be approaching it as a, we're sort of fighting and only one of us gets to have an emotional response to this. Yeah. Which is so funny because I think because I connect with the letter writer's experience directly, like as a, you know, I have like a very specific example in my mind where I felt the same way. There's a frustration. I, I, I appreciate that perspective because it reminds me that like conflicts are never supposed to be one sided versus one side versus the other, you know, that mm-hmm. it is it is always going to be an exchange, even if you just want to hear I'm sorry, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. like humans are what I need to remind myself is like we cannot logistically take turns either processing and apologizing, right? Like that is just not the way humans are built, <laughs> even right. though that's what I want. And I, I guess like in the same line with you validating the idea that like we're all going to be processing feelings. I also want to say like, I think it's okay to have the frustration that you and I letter writer have, which is like, I don't want to have to nurture when I'm hurt, you know? Like I don't want, sometimes mm-hmm. I just want to be, affirmed in my feelings, you know? And also, I'm not sure if, I'm not sure I want to be in a relationship that is that one dimensional. Like, I, I, I don't know if that's a, I think that's a reasonable desire, but I'm not sure if it's a realistic one. How about that? You know, because there's times that like, I feel like sometimes I, I, I don't need a lot. I just want to say like, oh, this hurt my feelings. Can you acknowledge that? But I guess we just we just always have an impact on other people and being in partnership means that we have to be receptive to that. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean Confused Bean's partner isn't accountable to the space that she takes up when trying to, to be nurturing to her partner. You know, like I feel, I do feel like there are times in which um, us like anxious people can like mm-hmm. make, you know, you tell me that like I hurt your feelings and then all of a sudden you're comforting me because I am like breaking down because I'm such a bad person, <laughs> you know, like yeah. sometimes like the emotional labor is like a little uh, uneven. <laughs> For sure. No, absolutely. And like, I think that's what makes this letter actually it's, challenging to yeah. answer is because there is a lot of nuance here, right? And like, there's one side of the coin that can say like, who told you that another person having feelings negates yours, right? Like means that yours aren't valid or real yeah, anymore. Yeah, that would be my parents. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> and there is a type of like defensiveness slash manipulation slash emotional like immaturity that is that responds to when folks tell us that we've done something wrong to like lash out and say, well, you're doing this thing, like that defensiveness that we talked about as a check-in, right? And it's hard to know from this letter which one of these is happening because like I'm not in your body and like I don't know your partner. Yeah. Um, But I know that I struggled with the idea of the uh, that as a person who was taught that I had to caretake for everyone, that suddenly if someone else was having a reaction and emotion, then it was implied that my job was to fix it. Right. When instead it can be like, hey, no, we're both the two of us just having an emotional response to the fact that we're in conflict in this relationship in some way or that we're both having an emotional response to this awkward conversation that we're having. Yeah. And like, that's okay. I don't have to fix it. Right. We can both have an emotional response to it. We can both see each other in our emotions and like 
the fact that Peter's having an emotional response doesn't mean that mine's any less important or valid or real. So like, that's one way to look at it. It also could be like your partner might just be like being really defensive and like, how do you stop them? Yeah, (laughs) like that's what I just can't tell. Um, I think... The, the the best like inarticulate commentary I can add to this is like, I think, I think this is just humanness. Like, I think we have such high expectations of our, our, of ourselves and our partners and our loved ones to be able to love us perfectly and to respond perfectly when we are like 100% imperfect machinery, us humans, mm-hmm. like there yep. is faulty wiring up the wazoo, you know, we are not equipped to deal with all of the emotional um, triggers and the emotional asks of life. You know, I think I was so drawn to this letter because I, I feel that push of push and pull that human desire just to want to be affirmed and nurtured and held. It's almost, it's childlike in the best way. Like we're all, we're all children still Mm -hmm. Um, just to want to be, you know, held and, told, oh, I'm sorry, it's okay, I love you. But unfortunately, interactions always take work. They always take a give and take. I I can't ask my wife not to be defensive. I can't ask my wife not to have that reaction, that knee-jerk reaction that we talked about earlier, because I have that. Um, not to say we can't be better. I, I don't know. I feel like this is already a very sprawling episode. Yeah, it's just like all over the place. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing to remember is that in conflict, there's not in conflict with people who we love and who we're on the same team with. There is no winner and loser. Right. So there is no person who's right and what, who, one person who's wrong. It's about you. Remember, you're on the same team and you're both having emotional responses and things are more complicated than just like black and white, like one person's Mm -hmm. in every argument. There's a person who is absolutely right. And a person who's absolutely wrong. There's a good guy and a bad guy. And in fact, conflict is so much more nuanced than that because like, it is so much more, there's so many different layers involved in it. And so like, I think remembering that and remembering that like the point isn't to win the argument. The point is to like see each other in our emotional responses and, and like, recognize that this is a complicated situation or a a crunchy thing that's happening to us and not like we're we're against each other in this can help us know the line of being like no we're we're not in competition to see who is the most hurt right we are in a in a moment of recognizing that like we're both trying to figure out how to process through this thing that's come up for us which is that your partner hurt your feelings by saying things decisively And she interpreted that as you not liking a part of her, right? Which I think is like both of those things are super valid. And then, but we can get into a thing of like, well, mine's more valid than yours. or And it's like, no, they're both valid at the same time. We can hold, we are, we are beautiful humans who are capable of so many different things. And we are able to hold multiple truths at the same time that both of these hurts are existing and that you can hold each other, Right. You don't need to be only the one that's held. Like you can hold each yeah. other at the same time. Like and we're not we're not a baby and a, and a yeah. parent. We're two adults who can yes. actually like physically hold each other at the same time. Well, I remember like a, a, a couple of weeks ago, Willow and I had a big, um, a tr- it wasn't even a big conflict. It was so minor, but it was a triggering conflict because it triggered me to feel like I was a bad person, blah, 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 blah. So it was like, 
it was a long session of processing through it. And at the end of it, I remember feeling closer to her, even though there was like this, you know, we're not keeping a tally in this, you know, it is right. about, it is about the long haul. It's, it's not about right or wrong. It's not about um, a winner or a loser. It's about how deeply can we see each other through this? And are we doing equal parts of the work? You know what I mean? It, are you showing mm -hmm. up to the arena? Are you leaning into the vulnerability? One of the tools that we used in that argument or like during that processing time, I should call it because it wasn't even an argument, was um, the stories that we're telling ourselves. Right. And it is almost impossible not to tell ourselves those false stories. Like we said in the check in topic, those assumptions, those narratives that we've been told or have had reinforced about ourselves. Um, but the way you change those narratives isn't alone. You say those narratives out loud and you and you and your partner or you and your loved one or you and your people um, work out if they're true or not. You know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. like Sam said, uh, a, a tool in this conflict is making sure that you're talking, um, you're telling each other what stories you're bringing to the table. When you say this, it makes me feel this. Well, and in the, in the example of the letter writer, okay, when you tell me that you think that I'm critiquing a part of your personality, it makes me feel like I can't bring things to you. So how do we resolve that? We both decide that it's okay to have conflict and that it's okay to be critiqued and that, and, or to be, to have people bring needs to us. And that doesn't mean we're bad people. It doesn't define us. So just remember, friend, that that your truth and her truth can can exist at the same time, that, that we are capable of loving and being loved. We are capable of criticizing and being criticized at the same time. And know that you two are in this partnership together. You are working towards the same goals. And you can find a place where both of you can get your needs met at the same time. Yeah. And it's also like really, really human to feel this conflict. And you should probably just like talk about it with your partner. <laughs> <laughs> also that. Yep. <laughs> love you. <laughs> we love you. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh, my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because <laughs> love it. <laughs> honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. 
indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. (laughs) Stop wasting money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. (laughs) We don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. Our next letter comes from Man on Omission, whose pronouns are he, him, who is writing from Michigan. Very clever. Very clever name. I thought yes, it was very cute. I love it. Dear Sam and Sierra, I am a 32-year-old bisexual male, and I discovered your podcast on the drive back home from helping my now ex move into a new city and move our relationship into a long-distance one. I was deeply lost and confused about my non-desire to move with her and concerned that I would not be able to show up for the new needs in the next stage of our relationship. Halfway through the drive, boom, Spotify suggests just break up. The focus on emotional intelligence, personal authenticity, and growth through discomfort pushed me into breaking up and seeking out the better version of myself. My story starts when I started seeing an ex-coworker. Let's call her Erin. We started seeing each other less than a month after me ending my previous four-year relationship. She was understanding of my vulnerability and rightly suggested that we take it slow. We decided not to be exclusive and agreed that as long as we communicate and remain honest, we could continue going on walks, hanging out with mutual friends, shutting down bars, late night talks, and having mind-blowing sex. Two months later, I go on a date with another woman, let's call her Michelle. She was also an ex-coworker, so we reconnected quickly and the date went really well. I knew I had to tell Aaron what happened, so the next time we saw each other, I took a deep breath and came out with it. She asked me if we slept together and I said yes. She... Also asked me if I would see her again, and despite me knowing the answer would absolutely be yes, I shyly responded, I guess so. She was visibly upset and told me that she felt silly texting me while I was out with another person. She reassured me I did nothing wrong, but the rest of the evening made it seem like that wasn't the case. She proceeded to get excessively drunk, more so than we usually do as bartenders loose on the town. 
We met up with her best friends who quickly confronted me about the situation and then smoothed things out with me, given the fact that we too were old coworkers. Her friends encouraged me to, quote, love on her tonight, despite the fact that she wasn't really into PDA, which is a task for me because my love language is physical touch. And to my surprise, she was all about it. Cut to a month later, and things are still going well with Aaron. We had previously planned a trip and decided that after the experience of traveling together, we should take a crack at DTR or at least speaking in detail about where our feelings were. The trip went great and time came for us to have the talk. She said she considered me her fella, which made sense to her since neither of us was seeing anyone else. The problem, of course, was that I was seeing someone else. I had been seeing Michelle at least once a week since our date and had engaged in long talks, bar hopping, late night talks, and mind-blowing sex. I lied to myself that Aaron knew I was seeing Michelle, but didn't want to know every time I did. I could have asked Aaron about her feelings about knowing my dating practices, but I didn't. Worse yet, I took a trip with Michelle to a nearby town, and when Aaron asked about my reasons for leaving town, I lied and said I was seeing a friend. I felt like a giant pile of garbage, and worse yet, just another self-serving guy willing to manipulate a situation to have his cake and eat it too. When she said that neither one of us was seeing someone else, I knew it all had to end. I confessed and Aaron left my place immediately. What followed was several days of back and forth texting where she rightly dragged my lying ass across the desert I had created between <laughs> us. She felt like my lies of omission and seeing Michelle made the last month of time a lie as well. She said that she didn't know who I was anymore. This erasure of our good times in her mind was understandable, but painful to the point of being unbearable. During this three-day period of texting me, she called me at three in the morning and asked if she could stay over because she was too drunk to drive home, but couldn't stay where she was because she didn't want to have sex with the guy she was with. I said yes and laid sleeplessly next to her a million miles away in my own bed. I've struggled with depression and anxiety my whole adult life and losing connection with someone I care deeply for is my brain's favorite way to feel sadness. All this hit me hard knowing that it was all my fault and with a little bit of honesty, all of this could have been avoided. I told her that I could spend the next forever texting back and forth about the pain and regret so at least then we could share something together, but instead decided to cut off communication so that I wouldn't stay in that dark place. To this day, I find myself desperately wanting to convince Erin, her friends, or anyone who knows what happened that my feelings toward her were real. This time in dating was meant for me to discover how I could further understand how to show up fully for myself in a relationship, and I feel like I set myself back. How do I decide what a new dating partner should know about who I am seeing? How do I commit to having difficult conversations, even knowing that the truth might make me lose them? How do I let go of this destroyed non-relationship and forgive myself for hurting someone that I truly cared for? How do I navigate someone wanting exclusivity, but me wanting to work on myself? Michelle has said explicitly that she wants this. Thank you for taking the time reading my letter. Even if you don't answer it, I'll still have this great community of vulnerable listeners and writers to lean on. You two have been and will continue to be a part of my journey to becoming my best by Gemini journalism major simultaneously whole and becoming self. <laughs> Cheers. Charming, charming. But we're English majors. Um, we just write papers <laughs> for other academics, not for actual you know, publication. It's just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't have to ask a, a person a question. I just like <laughs> looked at a book. <laughs> um, okay. My darling, thank you so much for writing. Um, I'm going to rely on like an old phrase or whatever. And first start by saying, uh, this is you, you know, what do they say? You made this bed and now you have to sleep in it. 
mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I know that phrase is like, yeah. yeah, that phrase is like a little pointed and like a little blamey. Um, but I want to use that metaphor and say, okay, so this is the bed that you've made, right? You built this bed. You, you saw these two people, even though you had that little voice in the back of your head um, being like, oh, maybe I should tell one of them about the other or whatever. Um, and I want to say this isn't an evil bed. It's not a bad person bed. <laughs> it's not um, It's not even like a, I wouldn't even say it's a liar's bed, you know, although that mm-hmm. y- you did omit truth, you know. I'm just saying like been there, done that, but... This is the bed uh, that brings the larger discomfort after avoiding smaller discomforts over time, right? These mm-hmm. small omissions, this, these, those small choices that you made to not lean into that hard truth that you knew was there has led to this bigger, larger discomfort that comes along with a breakup. It comes along with this... It, it, it brings this feeling of shame and and fear of what other people think about you. It comes with regrets and it comes with this story about yourself that you're telling yourself that you're a liar and that you mm. have to like, you know, rectify this. So this is a lesson for you and it's a lesson for me, especially 20 something Sierra who would do anything to avoid that discomfort anything to avoid that discomfort and often ended up paying for that avoidance in huge discomforts, you know, like Mm -hmm. massive amounts of pain because I couldn't deal with my own truth, which is I wasn't ready to commit. I wanted to be non-monogamous or I wanted to pursue something else or, or whatever it is. Or like I wanted to explore myself, which it sounds like you all want to do. For sure. And I also like, will say that in this situation, it did take two to tango as well to like give you a little bit, you know, I know that your narrative right now is that you fucked up and you were a horrible person and you did all of the the wrong things. And I want to create space for the fact that you were honest with, with her, with Aaron, about the fact that you went on a date with Michelle and she responded really poorly. <laughs> like she responded in a way that was like, hey, I know that we made this commitment to be open to see other people and I'm going to be still be really upset about this and then not talk about the fact that I'm upset and then get progressively drunk and then have my friends talk to you about it, which like, honestly would make me also feel really less inclined to be honest about the dates that I'm going on with other people. If that's going to be the response every time. So like there could have been moments in that where instead of you just pretending like it wasn't happening, you could have also said like, Hey, I thought we agreed to this. And now you're giving me all of these things where like, you're really upset with me for doing this thing that we agreed was okay. And I'm not okay with that. Or you could have had more conversations and like continued to tell her even as it meant that she would get really drunk and sick all of her friends on you. Like, so I'm not, I don't want to like blame Aaron for you doing this to her because like, I don't think that she's necessarily to blame. I think that there is also just like a collective mishap that happened I'm telling here. you, humans are faulty. <laughs> like we need to be returned We're faulty. to the plan. Absolutely. <laughs> right? Like there are so many different ways that this could have gone, but I also want to make space for the fact that you two were participants in this together because I don't want the narrative because it sounds like you're being really hard on yourself and it sounds like you're trying to like absolve yourself of this. I don't want you to like have feel like you have to self-flagellate all the time 
for this thing that you did and that she is somehow perfect and she didn't deserve any of this, right? Like this is much more complicated and nuanced than it than than I think that you're painting it to be in the situation and probably that she's painting it to be as well. So, which is not to say that you are like absolved of all of your sins or that like you didn't do anything wrong, but I do want to create a broader story here so that you can be really clear about some of the things that you want to do differently, which is to say that like you want to find somebody who is is um, going to be able to handle it when you go on other dates with people because and like agree to the terms that you agreed to in the relationship. Right. And you are going to want to stop in those moments where you know that the person is upset and be like, hey, can we talk about this? Or like, hey, I see that you're really upset, but you're not telling me about it. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to handle this situation when this is going on. So like, you know, one of your questions is, how do I let go of this destroyed not relationship and forgive myself for hurting someone that I truly cared about? is to give yourself like more context and see the relation, the situation for what it was, which was not that you were just an asshole who out of the blue started cheating on this person or who out of the blue started not talking to this person about stuff that's going on, but that you were in a really messy situation. And what seemed easier because of the way that she responded was just to not tell her and that you can do something differently in the future. Yeah. And I think it's a great lesson for us conflict avoidant people that people's poor responses to our truth isn't enough of a reason not to share those truths, right? Like Sam, mm-hmm. yep. that's such a good reminder to be like, well, there's a lot of things at play here because I self-flagellated through this whole letter. I was like, I, sure. I need to be atoned for my sins of my 20s, you know? Um, <laughs> but I, I think it's also a great reminder, like um, monogamy is not for everyone, um, but all types of relationships require explicit communication. Like I just want to mm-hmm. put an end to the vague DTRing. Like I just want to <laughs> put an end to the vague uh, boundaries about like, what are we, you know, or like the pressures about saying about DTRing too early or whatever you can DTR and not be in an R. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can determine <laughs> what the relationship is and what the boundaries are without being in a monogamous or non-monogamous or whatever official, capital R relationship you can say like to be honest um man on a mission I would next time I you're moving forward with someone whether it be Michelle or someone else you say I'm interested in seeing other people this means I will have more than one sexual partner Mm -hmm. say it outright empower yourself and empower your partner because you know I, I think if you had said this to Aaron a little bit more explicitly, like when she said, are you going to see her again? And you said, yes, we're probably going to continue to be sexual partners, which mm-hmm. which you said you believe to be the truth. That empowers Aaron to say, I'm not interested in that. Or it empowers you to be able to say your reaction to this or your expectations of me or my your the boundaries for you don't align with my boundaries. We should stop yeah. seeing each other, right? Yeah. That's what I feel like is missing. Yeah. And that's the thing that's the hardest about this too, is like, if these are your values, these are your boundaries, these are commitments, then you, it means you have to be willing to give up the things that are not in alignment with them. Yes. And and that's, that's that's what's sucky about it. And that's the thing that I would recommend that you continue to, to work on and grow is like, it's totally okay to be non-monogamous while you are trying to figure out what you want out of life and out of relationship and who you are. Like those, that's, 
absolutely fine. And how are you committing to being honest and open and true to that non-monogamy as you are going through this and recognizing the fact that like, if you're with someone who is not handling that well, then you don't want to be with them, right? Because then you're lying. Then you're not in your integrity. Then you're not doing the things that you want to do. So what are you willing to sacrifice in order to be able to maintain the lifestyle that you want to live or the in this moment, right? Not saying that it's forever and commit to that and being really true to yourself in this, like not just being truthful to your partners, but also being really true to yourself and saying, I don't want to date someone who's going to make me feel guilty about going on uh, dates with other people. Yeah. I don't want to date somebody who's going to respond in the way that Aaron responded when I tell them that I'm I'm continuing to see other people, even though we were clear about the fact that we are seeing other people at the beginning of this relationship, right? Like those are all fine, but you have to be willing to sort of give up the thing that you have in pursuit of the thing that you're claiming to want. And that's where like integrity comes from, right? Yes. That is where we lean into the growth that we want to find. Um, and that's what I would encourage you to do. Like, it's hard. I'm not going to pretend like it's easy. I'm not going to pretend like it's it's easy to like give up something that you really like because it's not in alignment with what you know to be better for you or what you know you want in your life. But that's really the work that we have to do. That's what it is. It's not about like, how do I stop lying? It's about like, how am I living in the integrity of what I want and need and being true to myself about the fact that I don't want things that aren't in alignment with it? Yeah. Yeah, that's totally real. And to be honest, like part of your letter rem- like triggered me, not in like an offensive way, but reminded me of like past partners who had um, cheated on me, right? Which is not what mm-hmm. necessarily happened here um, at first. And I... I would have responded like I would have been deeply emotional and been like, ah, you know, prove this wrong to me or whatever, like make this better. I would have asked you to make this better in in my actions. And what I would truly want for you to do is to be honest with me instead of making me feel better. Right. I think that's Mm. just an important reminder. Like I was sitting here thinking like, well, what would I want you to do? Or what did I want my ex to do? I wanted my ex to be a different person. I wanted my ex (laughs) to, um, to, to make it all right. And he internalized that, right. He internalized that and tried to make me feel better and tried to be somebody he wasn't for me. And in the long run, I guess this is just a general reminder that like we hurt people more by being inauthentic than we do by disappointing them initially. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. All right, my darling man on a mission. Um, We know we didn't really answer all of your questions, but I feel like we put you in a good starting point to examine some of these things. And also like, fuck uh, what other people think about you. Like, at the end of the day, <laughs> this is just something I've had to live with. Like at the end of the day, we, you cannot control the narrative that is out there about you and Aaron's relationship. Like, you can't control it. You can oh. defend yourself all you want, but like you, you could lose sleep over like what those people think about you. But at the end of the day, their validity, the validity in their eyes of that relationship has no bearing on your lived experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, your feelings towards her were real. And doesn't matter if other if other people know that as well. Like, and that's just the 
the long and short of what it means to be human is that like people are going to have different experiences of us than we might want them to. <laughs> yeah. All right, my darling. Thank you for writing. Thank you so much. We love you. All right. A final letter comes to us from Anonymous Anonymous, whose pronouns are she, her, who is writing to us from hetero hell, which <laughs> is one of my favorite locations in the last several episodes. <laughs> Dear Sam and Sierra, greetings and thank you for the wonderful wavelengths you put out into the world. I look forward to your episodes each week and the amount of love and thought you put into them has warmed my heart in many a wintry season. I'm a 31-year-old straight woman and I'm here to ask you the most age-old and cliche question straight ladies like me ask. Is there really no such thing as scarcity? My past three relationships have been with men who didn't want to do the work on the relationship to the extent that I did. I'm a bit of a Theravangelist. Therapy, which I started five years ago, has completely transformed my life and I, my understanding of myself. That has also tr trickled into my relationships and made me realize that most conflicts with friends, family members, coworkers, etc., can be resolved with clear communication when both parties try. My trouble has been finding men who want to try. In all three relationships, I saw our differences fairly clearly but never found them irreconcilable. I thought with good communication and flexibility of perspective, we could have been happy. But these men all ran away from me, and I mean ran. There was often very little sign of discontent from their end until they decided to break up with me. The person trying to talk about any conflict before that was almost invariably me. With the first two, I later saw clear red flags, which helped give me a sense of what I could do differently in the future. But with the last breakup, I felt particularly blindsided because this person gave every impression of being a good communicator, of really wanting a committed relationship with me. And he had even been going to therapy himself for a couple of years. But he bolted even more quickly and with even less warning and explanation than the other two, which has left me reeling. I know that scarcity of quantity is not real, but is it possible that when it comes to straight men, there's a scarcity of quality? I know that straight men can be thoughtful and self-aware. I've had a lot of straight male friends who are, but unsurprisingly, they're all already in long-term committed relationships. I just sometimes fear that straight men are held to different standards than others in terms of what we expect from them, that they don't really see emotional labor as their responsibility somehow. And that makes me both angry and dispirited. I like my life. I love my friends and my hobbies and most of the time my job. And if I end up living out a spinster existence, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. But I do want partnership and I'm only attracted to men. So how do I convince myself that they don't all just suck balls? <laughs> I, I, I forgot that that was the ending of this eloquent letter. <laughs> so it kind of like snuck up on me. It's really great. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing Anonymous Anonymous from your hetero hell. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into um, the idea of scarcity or not, I do just want to acknowledge like this conversation cannot exist in a bubble. And, and we have to acknowledge that our, the patriarchy that we live in um, mm. definitely does uh persuade men away from um uh 
emotional vulnerability. That is just what, yeah. that's one of the, like, I don't even, it doesn't even feel good to say that because like, I know y'all are trying. I know, you know, there are many straight men in my life that I love and trust with my heart and my vulnerability. But I also know that um, masculinity, one of the foundations of masculinity is, is, is the false information that men have less emotions than, than women do. Right. Right. (laughs) And that's just not real. That's not real, but we are culturally trained to expect that from men. So the letter writer is right there. There there has to be something there, right. That, um, that I, that I don't want to spend all the time on because we can't necessarily solve that. (laughs) Um, But I want to say like, yeah, like we do, we do hold men to a different straight men to a different standard when it comes to um, emotional vulnerability, emotional labor, um, because we are taught culturally that that is not a trait to be valued in masculinity. Mm. No, absolutely. That's, that is as a, person who has socialized as a man <laughs> i can definitely tell you that that is true right um and i also want to create space for the idea that like even if a person has gone through therapy and is really trying to get in touch with their emotional center and wants to find a loving monogamous relationship with somebody who is their equal and who can sort of um provide comfort and and also provide emotional support to you right doesn't mean that they want to date us either (laughs) so like i i think that the idea of like well i just if we can just get to a point where we all can communicate well and effectively like we'll we'll make this relationship work also is like well that doesn't happen all the time right there are men who are just not gonna they're not for us right they're just people that people yep right that and they might not they might not connect with us and and so like i don't want to say it's the failing of this man for sort of moving quickly away from this relationship because right. maybe it just wasn't working for him. Maybe right. it wasn't the right, right. So like, I think one of the things that we can help to ourselves to do when we're in this idea of scarcity or we're in this, this like idea of like all men are awful, um, right. Is acknowledge the fact that like, yes, the patriarchy like benefits men and we need to be really clear about that. And also finding ways to humanize men yes. and our responses to them as well, right? Like they're not all monsters. I, <laughs> I'm not I a monster, I promise. That. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate that so much because that's what I was saying. Like, I feel icky. Like, mm-hmm. I want Just Break Up to be a space in which, like, we acknowledge those systems, right? But that we, that we push against them. Humanize is the perfect word. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, Sam's totally fucking right. Those three men... They, they like, I have ghosted people. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I have done what they have done. And that might be because of my emotional maturity at t- the time. That might be because of, like, my uh, energetic bandwidth that I didn't have the bandwidth or the courage or the time or, or the care to, to exit the relationship with the respect that it was due because I didn't have the tools at the time or, or whatever. So, like, um, there are a myriad of ways that the that these people might not have been for you. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate that perspective, Sam. Yeah. Cause I think it helps us challenge the notion of, of scarcity, right. Where we're sort of like, well, these three, even these three were like horrible people. Like this just reinforces this understanding in my mind of this is the way that all straight men behave. Mm-hmm. And instead saying like, no, these were three people that I wasn't compatible with and who, you know, 
for whatever reason, decided to leave the relationship. And I know that there are other people out there who I'm incompatible with too. But I also know that there are people that I am compatible with who my commitment to clear communication is going to be really effective. Um, it's sort of like the idea of these three men don't make a pattern. <laughs> yeah. Right? These three men are just three people, three of the seven billion people on this earth who tried to date you and handled it in ways that they handled it. Um, but are just people. They're not yeah. they're not monsters. They're not yeah. like indicative of like horribleness that that are in embodies all straight men, while at the same time also acknowledging that there are systems of preference that preference straight men just because they're straight men. <laughs> and right. like and that has dangerous and horrible repercussions for the rest of the world. Like both of those truths can can exist at yeah. the same time. And when Sam is talking about the those three men out of the seven billion or whatever that didn't that you try to date, well, that's not enough of a reason for you to say, oh, the common denominator is me, right? Mm. Mm, I, I don't think we're that special, actually. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Right. Like, if, it's not like one, it's not the equation is one over seven billion, right? Like, it's not, <laughs> right. or whatever yeah. weird math thing that we could figure out there. Um, the common denominator there is humanity, right? The common denominator is the faulty machinery, is which I'm going to keep coming back to, mm. um, that, like, that we are, we all struggle with relationships and it might feel like every, you know, everyone, you know, is partnered or your two mm -hmm. favorite podcast hosts are married or, you know, like it might feel <laughs> like you're the, you're the odd one out. You're the, you're the common denominator to all these failed things, but everybody has their problems. People who are coupled have heavily dysfunctional relationships, right? Sure. Sam and yep. I have had streaks of failed relationships, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. this is, and it's not about like, meeting, you know, doing the right thing and meeting the right jackpot. This is just all a part of the human experience. For that sure. being said, Sam and I try to be really mindful when we talk about scarcity and abundance, because we know that without the and also that Sam is so good at doing, it can really feel like toxic positivity or it's just like, keep your chin yeah. up, you know, like the world is abundant. The universe is going to provide for you. And I really appreciate it at the end of the letter that you were like, I, you know, a partnership is what I want, but if I don't have one, that's not the end of the world. Um, I pr appreciate that, that realness of it because, you know, there, there are no guarantees in life, you know, mm -hmm. but we do know that there, that, that, there are very few universal truths about humans as a whole, right? <laughs> Other yep. than like, we're all fucked up <laughs> and yep. like uniquely incapable. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But, you know, all straight men are not emotionally unavailable. Um, mm -hmm. And the only reason, the like Sam's right, the way we challenge those those patterns that we see is by humanizing them, but to say that each of those people, each of those three men have their own unique lives that led them to this moment to make them make a decision that mildly looked like the other person's decision, but probably had nothing <laughs> right. similar with it, you know? Yep. Yeah. And I think, you know, it can be really, really challenging to, to not have the thing that you want and to be working really hard towards that thing and like still not get it. Um, and I think recognizing the pain and the grief that comes with that, with that situation and sort of the idea that like this fickle universe is just like not working out in your favor in that one 
department. It's not because you're not a good enough communicator. It's not because you are not putting yourself out there. It's not because all straight men are awful, although recognize that like some of them are. <laughs> it's not like there's a, a mean pattern that is like seeking you out specifically. And it's not that you're not working hard. It's not that you're not putting all of your, all of that good energy. It's not that you're not putting that love out there. It's just that like sometimes the universe doesn't shake out in the way that we want it. Yeah. And that fucking sucks, right? Especially when we're told if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything that you want to. If you want a man, you've got to do these things in this order in order to get them and keep them. And and if you're not doing that, then somehow, or if you if you don't have a partner in your life, then somehow you fucked up or somehow you're unlovable or whatever that narrative is. When really like this universe is just random. It is just bizarre <laughs> in the ways that it shakes out. And so part of recognizing abundance is recognizing the fact that like, even if the thing that we really want isn't available to us, it doesn't mean that there aren't other things around us that can provide us with the things that we're asking for or be joys in our lives or whatever it is, right? Like the family, the friends, the community that you have, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about abundance, not necessarily that like if you believe in abundance, the right man will walk into your life. But instead recognizing that like, even without the man, even without this thing that you're working for, which sucks, it absolutely sucks that this is a, something you've worked so hard for and it's not working out the way that you want it to, doesn't mean that you aren't also at the same time surrounded by people who love you, surrounded by hobbies and things that can bring you joy, right? Both of those things can be true at the same time, that it sucks that this isn't working and that there is still love and joy present and available to you in places that maybe aren't that thing that you're looking for. Crushed it. I have literally nothing else to say. <laughs> Great. How do you follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sam's right. I'm going to leave it on that. Um, Perfect. We love you. Uh, we know this is really tiring and discouraging and let this be, let this, you know, if you have the energy, if you have the if you have the bandwidth right now or sometime down the line when you have when you have nourished yourself and healed and let yourself hurt and are ready to 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 look at this in a little different perspective, like you're doing everything right. Right. Like you're having mm -hmm. standards for these men that come into your life. You're expecting mm -hmm. communication from them. And the ones mm -hmm. that can't reciprocate that are not meant for you. So, like, let this be a bolstering thing, right. That helps you reinforce these expectations, right. Um, that you're mm. not there. This isn't about lowering your standards. This is about, um, reiterating the belief in the universe, right. Um, that mm -hmm. your the things that you want are valid period. For sure. For sure. All right, my darling, we love you. Thank you so much for writing. We hope this helps. All right, this brings us to the blind date segment of the show. Every episode, we want to shout out something that we love, that we want to set you up with. And this week, we are sending you home with... A book called Sisters in Hate, American oh, yes. Women on the Front Lines of White Nationalism by Seward Darby. Um, I just read this book recently. It is a... Um, Seward Darby is a journalist who is interested in white nationalism, not like she's interested in it, like she believes in it, but is interested <laughs> in sort of what the causes mm -hmm, of it are mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. how it sort of manifests, particularly after the election of Donald Trump. Um, and this book is about three women, um, one of whom is a former participant in white nationalism and two of whom are sort of leaders in that space and really looks at what is the role 
particularly that white women play in the current white supremacist, white nationalist movement, as well as how they how women of the past have helped shape that movement in the way that it's iterating itself. Um, and it is a it is a really well-researched, interesting book. Um, the way that she is able to sort of weave the stories of these three women with the broader context of white nationalism and Definitely. the history of white nationalism is like masterful. It is it is so good the way that she puts it all together. Um, and I do think it it highlights an important thing for us to recognize that white folks and our complicity in ra- systems of racism um, isn't necessarily um, precluded by our other identities that may that may shape us, right? right? Like we can be white women and participate in white nationalism. We can be queer white men who participate in white nationalism. Um, and sort of examining the ways in which um, other identities that aren't white that we carry with us are sort of used and manipulated and uplifted in pursuit of um, the perpetuation of white supremacy. So um, really, really good book. Would definitely recommend it. Um, Again, it's called Sisters in Hate by Seward Darby. Definitely second that recommendation. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. But most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. And make sure to stay tuned this week. This Thursday, we debut our third episode of the Head and Heart Works interview series. And this episode is featuring the fantastic and incredibly funny Melissa Lozada. Oliva. Please remember to subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, producing, editing, all magical things. Said that stuff out of order. By our good (laughs) friend, Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify. And remember, take a moment this week to ask yourself, what am I assuming? What stories Mm. am I assuming others believe about me? What stories am I assuming are true about me? What am I assuming my partner thinks or believes about our boundaries? What am I assuming that the world is withholding from me this week? And where can I possibly find it elsewhere? And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>